0: Hi, my name's Hutton and I'm a geoholic. Hey, everyone. This is Nick Smolofsky bringing you another Bad Elf Tech Minute. Hope all you geoholics are doing well out there. Uh, as a common theme, we're going to be talking about some space news coming down the pipeline here. Uh, SpaceX has actually been in the news twice here. Uh, they have now announced SpaceX will be utilizing their reusable Falcon rockets to deploy uh, the upcoming GPS satellites to finish off our USA constellation. Also, this month from Boca Chica, Texas, they're going to be uh, uh, testing their new Starship rocket, which is. Uh, This thing is a beast. If you haven't seen it, you should Google search it. Uh, This thing is 500 feet uh, high. They're going to send it up into the air about 9.3 miles or 50,000 feet to test the rockets. And uh, they've said um, Elon Musk has mentioned recently uh, that they're going to be debuting the new orbiter that will be going along with this interplanetary Rocket. I don't know about you guys, but interplanetary sounds pretty awesome to me. So, if you guys have any questions about this or anything else we've mentioned in a tech minute, love to hear from you. You can reach me at nick, that's N I K, at bad elf.com. Y'all have a good one, and keep looking up in the stars. Uh, There's always some interesting tech minutes out there in the space.
1: Classic. Here we go. Everybody ready? Oh, yeah. Let's do this. Welcome back, fellow Geoholics, and thanks for listening to episode 54 of the Geoholics podcast. This is a no-brainer, also known as the Brian Urlacher episode, a little bit about (laughs) Mr. Urlacher, eight-time pro bowler, four-time first-team all-pro, NFL defensive rookie of the year in 2000, NFL defensive player of the year in 2005, NFL 2000's all-decade team, Top 100 Bears of all time. So for me, being from Chicago, of course, an absolute no-brainer.
2: Absolutely. He's Any arguments? Any arguments? No. no,
1: we're good with that. All He's right. An animal. Yeah, absolutely. Is. Never argue. Never argue with the host. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? Uh, one quick Brian Urlacher story. I like walked next to him at a Bears game, or not at a Bears game, in a Bulls game, and I was shocked at how like short he was. He wasn't like that tall. He was just like. He was, he was smaller for a linebacker, super, super fast and versatile, you know, but I was shocked at his size. You think he could take that. him? No. No, 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 no. Not even in my best days, He for was sure. just wider than he was Absolutely. tall. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of that way. All right. So please consider making a, let's call it a charitable contribution to the Geoholics GoFundMe account. And in return, you'll receive an extraordinary Geoholics fan pack. Tons of really good stuff in there. That opening number, of course, is Guns and Roses name of the song is Sweet Child O Mine. GNR is an American rock band formed in L.A. in 1985. In the early years, the band's hedonism and rebelliousness drew comparisons to the early Rolling Stones and earned them the nickname the most dangerous band in the world. Guns N' Roses have sold more than 100 million records worldwide, including 45 million in the United States, making them one of the best-selling acts in history. Finally, GNR was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012, first year of eligibility. No surprises. So, before we get going, I gotta make note for our listeners before we go any further. I gotta let everybody know that uh, Big Shoots is not active this week as a result of a, uh, let's call it an upper body injury also known as uh, a parachuting accident, is what he wanted me to say. So, But he'll be back. He'll be back. He's going to be okay. So we have a guest co-host joining us. I believe he was on episode 11, if I remember right. Mr. Steve Gingwall is sitting in, and we'll be providing value and making friends along the way. Steve, thanks for being here, and uh, we're going to catch up with you in a second. But in the meantime, how about you help me out with the uh, friends of the program shout-outs. So real quick, as I mentioned last episode, if you're looking for a great return on investment of your advertising dollars, I would highly recommend that you consider being a Geoholics friend of the program in 2021. If you think I'm crazy, get this, by the end of 2020, we will have released 47 value-adding episodes, nine Geoholics Anonymous roundtable discussions. Started a dedicated YouTube channel that is just over 125 subscribers. We've amassed over 600 followers on Facebook, 500 members, over 500 members of the Geoholics LinkedIn group. And we'll have 23,000 individual podcast downloads. And guess what? You have my word. 2021 is going to be even better. So reach out to us at info at for more info. And by the way, we're limiting this in 2021 to eight friends of the program so that we're able to give everybody the attention that they duly deserve. Let's start out with Bad Elf GPS, BadElf.com, successfully developing high-accuracy GPS receivers for all-day data collection thanks to Dr. Nick Smolowski and his Bad Elf Tech Minute that he does each and every week. Mention that you heard about the Flex receiver on the Geoholics and receive a 100 bucks off your purchase.
2: And Land Surveyors United, larger largest global community community in geomatics, professionals on the internet with 17,000 members. Landsurveyorsunited.com, take five minutes, visit the site, become a member, and uh, download the Geo app today.
1: Yep. Download that Geoholics uh, app right from the landsurveyorsunited.com website. Next, we got LiDAR News, the virtual home of the LiDAR industry. They strive to provide their readers and sponsors with the most current information about 3D laser scanning, LiDAR, unmanned aerial systems, and photogrammetry. The LiDAR News team focuses on the application of technology to solve 3D problems. Check them out at LiDARnews.com.
2: At Parkland College, land surveying program in Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> Two schedule options which provide opportunities to both traditional and working adults to achieve a certificate or associate's degree in land surveying. That's parkland.edu surveying.
1: Nicely done, my friend. Next, we've got Unifly. Scott Ohana and his team have developed a one-stop UAV shop. Check out their How We Work uh, link at unifli.aero to find out more.
2: Yes, and Mr. Trent Kenyon at Diamondback Land Surveying, specializing in residential, commercial, and public works projects. Corporate office located in Las Vegas, but they are licensed to work across the West. Also proud sponsors and brand ambassadors of Get Kids Into Survey, diamondbacklandsurveying.com and getgkis.com.
1: Yep. And uh, real quick, we got to mention Trent's Mentoring Mondays that he started. Check him out. I think you can find him on Facebook and on LinkedIn, Mentoring Mondays. Uh, Really cool thing. And yeah, yeah, he's got some great stuff going on. Trent's a... Trend's a go getter for sure. Next, we got Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc. Find them at agsgps.com. They have unbeatable deals on new and used equipment, equipment rentals, and supplies. In fact, if you go to agsgps.com forward slash shop and use promo code GEO fifteen, you will save fifteen percent off all regular price field supplies, accessories, and safety equipment.
2: You got a big one here, buddy. Yeah, Tiger Supplies the surveying construction and engineering superstore with over 15000 products featuring the top brands such as Leica, Ty- Topcon, Spectra and much more. Tiger will get you the equipment you need to get the job done right. Use coupon code geo 15 for 15% off any Adier Pro item including tripods, bipods, prisms, prism poles, flagging tape, survey markers and much much more. Also, don't forget to check out their YouTube page for product videos, tips, and tricks. Really good job, man.
1: Thanks for your help with that. Thank you. Last but not least, Cyanic Automation. These guys are doing some really cool stuff with survey companies in Canada, developing new ways to collect daily work records and timesheets directly from the field, automate invoicing, search jobs by legal addresses, stuff like that. Get Check out, I should say, JobBook by going to their website, getjobbook.com. They are solving operational problems to make your business life easier. Also, tell them you heard about it from the G-Hawks and they'll give you 20% off their first year subscription. All right. We got through that unfazed. Uh, Here we are this evening. We're back at the cobb Fenley. Sue, Sue Studio. <laughs> a little bit about Cobb Fenley. The, uh, the Cobb Fenley mission is to collaborate with employees and clients to provide engineering solutions that further their commitment to growth in the community. Check them out at CobbFenley.com. That's a shameless plug, of course. Let's catch up with the boys a little bit. Producer Jake, what's new, going? buddy?
3: Uh, not a whole lot new. I'm doing good, but I saw a story over the weekend and I was trying to remember it before. We started recording, and I just clicked to me, so I wanted to look it up and make sure I had all the numbers right. But we hear um, Nick, Bad Elf Nick, um, talk a lot about SpaceX, and I saw something that was kind of a little bit of an update. You remember back? I think it was February 20 two years ago, February 2018, when Elon and SpaceX and team launched the Falcon Heavy um, for the first time. They needed like almost something on top, like for like a payload, um, oh, yeah. to like to mimic like what the weight would be yeah. of like a satellite. So Elon actually sent up one of his Tesla Roadster, roadsters. Right? Yeah, his own, his car. Yep. Um, and just a couple days ago, it, it made its, pat- well, it's been in orbit, right? Yep. And it just passed within, they call it five space units, five million miles within Mars. So like the closest point that it could get to Mars. Jeez. So I think one of his things was, is he wanted to try to get it into Mars orbit, um which i don't know if it will but one thing that i thought was interesting is um at the beginning they had like you could tune into a live stream you could could see you could see like starman Mm -hmm. which is like the spacesuit sitting in the car but they don't have that anymore because i'm sure it's so far away but they're talking about if we could see what it looked like because it's just space junk right orbiting around like it's like rubber tires and car paint and stuff like that with all of that uv and like super cold like it's probably just destroyed yeah or it, it, it like I don't know like the p- f- faded away or something but I thought that was oh, pretty cool I' um, cool we'll man. never know unless we can like get the Hubble telescope folks to like zoom in on it which I'm sure they've got better things to do huh. but <laughs> I thought that was a cool kind of update because I had honestly forgot about that being two years ago but it was a huge buzzy <laughs> thing when it first happened
1: unbelievable that's two years ago
3: yeah crazy yeah, underground fly that's for sure yeah
1: <laughs> Mr Gainwall, let's uh introduce the fine folks to you give us the Steve Gainwall 30 second elevator speech.
2: Um, Well, there's not much, I mean, um, I've been working in the land surveying and engineering industry for the last uh, 12 years and change, Um, kind of uh, taking a seat back lately and um, now enjoying my two-year-old son, um, dabbling in my real estate interests and uh, doing some small business consulting, growing a little more facial hair, losing a little more hair on my head, (laughs) you know. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, other than that, you know, just uh, going through this, uh, I guess, pandemic as everyone else is. So, no complaints.
1: If uh, by chance somebody wanted to talk to you about doing some small business consulting, how would they find you?
2: Uh, They can email me at steve.azre at Gmail or check me out on LinkedIn. Um, Pretty wide variety of services that I can uh, consult on. So, just reach out and we can discuss what we can do for you very cool thanks again for being here thank you for having me I'm super absolutely sexy.
1: yeah it's gonna be fun uh, a couple things i've got real quick had a really cool thing happen last week actually uh jansen robishow who's a fan of the program he reached out to me last i don't know wednesday i think it was He was gonna be in arizona to take the arizona ls exam he's like hey you know Fan of the show, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to come and meet you. So he uh, he came by for a visit last Thursday night. We had a couple beers and uh, it was just really cool to talk with him. And then uh, good news is he passed his Arizona, Arizona LS. So right on. It, it was great. Yeah. Um, as good you know, I'm not one to necessarily talk about politics, especially. On this platform, but holy crap, this freaking Hunter Biden laptop thing. (laughs) This thing is spiraling so far out of control right now. I'm thinking to myself, like, first of all, who the hell keeps pictures of themselves passed out with a crack pipe in their mouth? Who does that? (laughs) I mean, I would think most people delete those immediately.
3: Or just never take them. (laughs) Or just never take them. I mean,
1: Jesus. It's crazy what's going on right now. All right, let's get on with this. Uh, (laughs) Real quick, our Safety Apparel safety share this week. Matthew Stansbury has developed the best safety vest on the planet, a.k.a. the party chief. Safetyapparel.us is their website. And be sure to also check out all their social uh, media platforms. Uh, Matthew's always doing some really cool stuff, you know, picks giveaways and all kinds of neat stuff. So make sure you check him out there as well. Our safety share tonight, it's not so much a safety share, I guess, as much as it is a dramatic read, let's call it some, some words of wisdom. So I don't know, maybe some of you out there have heard of this before, but it's titled the enemy. Okay. I'm going to try to read through this and, and, and do it justice. So, The Enemy. Where is it, where's it from? That's a great question. I have no idea who the author of this is. Okay. Uh, but I will be happy to share it if anybody's interested. It's, it's fantastic. So, The Enemy. I am more powerful than the combined armies of the world. I have destroyed more men than all the wars of all nations. I massacre thousands of people every year. I am more deadly than bullets. And I have wrecked more homes than a harem of the world's most sensuous women. In the United States alone, I steal over 500 million each year. I spare no one, and I find victims among the rich and the poor alike, the young and old, the strong and weak. Widows know me to their everlasting sorrow. I loom up in such proportions that I cast my shadow over every field of labor. I lurk in unseen places and do most of my work silently. You are warned against me, yet you heed me not. I am relentless, merciless, and cruel. I am everywhere, in the home, on the street, in the factory, at the railroad crossing, on land, in the air, and on the sea. I bring sickness, degradation, and death, yet few seek me out to destroy me. I crush, I maim, I will give you nothing, and I may rob you of everything you have. I am your worst enemy. I am carelessness. Pretty deep, huh? Yeah. Pretty yeah. deep.
2: Wasn't my guess, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like greed or something. I don't know. <laughs> the flu. <laughs>
1: carelessness. Think about it though. Think about all the destruction that carelessness does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get now with our guests tonight. Super excited. We've got uh, Tim Birch and Emily Pierce with us. And I have done enough talking, so I'm going to let them each introduce themselves. So Tim, I'm going to let you go first tell us a little bit uh you know about your current role and let's see let's go with if you could have dinner a four course meal with any person in time who would it be so tim you go first
4: well um this is gonna, probably going to sound a little bit lame but uh thomas jefferson i mean this he was such a I don't know cosmopolitan man did so many things now depending on which side of the the uh, racial divide you're on if he was a good man or not but uh, I think because of he had his hands in so many different things and had a lot of great ideas I would love to sit down and uh, and share a glass of wine with him
1: absolutely and what's your who do you work for currently and what's your current role.
4: Current role is director of surveying. Uh, It's a, a, for Spaceco Inc. It's a civil engineering and surveying firm here in, uh, it's in Rosemont, Illinois, but I look out my window and I see O'Hare. So let's just call it Chicago.
1: (laughs) There you go. Very familiar with that area. All right, Emily, how about you?
5: Um, Boy. Okay. So I guess if I could have dinner with anybody, um, I'm going to go a little personal here. Um, I was, given up for adoption at a very young age. And so I never got to meet my birth mother. Um, so that would be, she She has now since passed away. So that would be uh, somebody who I would um, want to have dinner with. But uh, for me, um, I, uh, I currently am at Burnson International. Um, I took a job as their business development manager there. been a, a little bit of a career change for me. Uh, I spent 20 years in the surveying profession uh, both working for a, a county government as well as for a private um, corporation as well, so um, been there actually officially six months yesterday that I um, that I've been at Princeton. It feels like I just started, but uh, already got six months under my belt. So nice.
1: congratulations! Sounds like a really good opportunity for you. Um, so we we do this fun thing when we have a couple of guests. Jake does not read the bios, but uh, so here, here we go, Jake. One yes. of our guests was born in Memphis, but has spent, I don't know, about 90% of their life in Wisconsin, and has actually found two original wood post section corners in one day, and is a huge Imagine Dragons fan. Our other guest was born and raised in central Illinois, studied architecture before committing to being a land surveyor, and is a huge GNR fan. Who you got, Jake? Jake?
3: Well, I think the the hometowns might have given it away because I know Tim's in Illinois, so I got to go Central Illinois um, for Tim and uh, Wisconsin for Emily.
1: You got it, Thank you God. got it. So uh, a couple things I want to circle back on. So Tim, for it's interesting that you were pursuing architecture before committing to being a land surveyor because I, I followed the exact same path coincidentally and illinois and in illinois yeah exactly and Illinois, yeah
4: exactly no yeah. i'm actually I'm a, I'm a second generation surveyor yeah. and surveyed through high school with uh with my father and the, the small company he worked for and uh once it came down to to college and and pulling that trigger uh it was just something i decided that uh, i wanted to give surveying a try uh for a career um it just it it spoke to me i don't know what it was i was always Strong in math. And I really liked the whole, the whole concept of a little bit of history and, and, and chasing down deeds and, uh, the, and the, the Kogo part of it. I mean, there was just a lot of components that just really spoke to me. So I stuck with it, and thirty some years later, here I am.
1: Here we are, right? Jeez, how time flies, right? A couple other things I want to mention about Tim. He's also the president-elect of NSPS and co-host of the NSPS Surveyor Says podcast. So, really, really fortunate to have Tim being here with us this evening. We appreciate it, Emily. Something I want to circle back with into you. Um, tell us a little bit about finding the two original wood post section corners in one day. That's that's pretty amazing.
5: Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty much the highlight of my career. Um, we were working in an area that was uh, originally, well, in the 1930s it had been flooded, so it was a, a flowage area that had um, was normally underneath water. And the water was so low, we were in some uh, major drought times, and so I think the water was like 10 feet low or 12 feet low, something like that. And it was kind of the perfect time where we could get out into the area and go and look for some of these original corners. And so I had um, some some search uh, calculations. Yeah. Sure enough, uh, as we're walking along in this area that was you know, pretty much like a flat marsh, you know, um, walking along, there was kind of a stump and, and something else I could see up ahead. And it was, GPS was pointing me right in that direction. Hmm. And as I was walking up, we, we actually had, um, there was a concrete monument that was set right next to that corner. Um, and the concrete monument because of the water had actually started to deteriorate. but the wood post itself was you know like the day it was put in the ground it was just it was gorgeous, it was immaculate. so uh, that one wow. that one for sure we were we were hundred um, percent confident that we were in the correct location. Uh, the other one was about another mile over uh, and we went out there and only found um, probably about the bottom three feet or so with the with the tip on it. Um so that one, you know, I mean we were we were sure about that one, but that one had actually been um like floated up and and was laying on its side. So it was pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. How old do you think those uh, corners were when you found them? When were they originally
5: um, they set? they were They were set I both I believe both of them were set in 1851.
2: Wow. wow. That's awesome.
5: And we found them in about 2000 2010? That's crazy. I think about So I'm curious so, when, yeah. you,
2: when you find them um Obviously, you don't try to disturb them. What do you do?
5: Uh, well, we we took them out of the ground. We actually set some stuff next. set so some stuff in the that. in the correct location. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So.
1: That's really cool. I got a real quick uh, original corner story. I cut my teeth on serving in Southern Illinois, and the company I was working for, I started my career with. We. Uh, we had a a contract with USDA Forest Service. So we were, you know, traversing, like, doing huge sectional retracement surveys and stuff like that. Long story short, it came time to look for this one particular corner. And, of course, when you look at the original monitor record, you know, it has ties to bearing trees. And, you know, at the time, the tree might have been like whatever, you know, a six-inch oak or whatever. Well, that was, you know, well over 100 years ago. So in most cases, those trees are either, you know, 10 times that size, or they're not there any longer. Well, this one particular corner, we found like one original bearing tree, and then we found like two, I don't want to say sinkholes, but where the other trees were originally, right? We started pulling tape off of these based off the original mine record, and sure as shit, we got to this point. started digging down, and there was the original stone. Wow. About two feet down. It was the most amazing thing. It gives me the chills when I think about it right now and talk about it because I just like, unbelievable, unbelievable. Cool. Very yeah, Very cool. Crazy stuff. All right, so let's get into this a little bit. Again, thank you guys for being here. Um, let's jump right into the P.O.B. Editorial Advisory Board. I know you guys are both a part of that, and I want you guys can both have a chance to to provide your input. But Tim, I'm going to I'm going to start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about that board. You know what what's the mission or the strategic plan for it?
4: Well, I, I'll to be honest with you, I think we're still in its infancy. Okay. Uh, we've had we've had one. Uh, was supposed to be a full group meeting, and you know that's one thing through the pandemic. Everybody is just mm-hmm. so busy and trying to get everybody together. So uh, it was about half of us. Um, uh, Emil is new to P.O.B. He's been there a little less than a year, um, taking over for Perry, and uh, he has such uh, passion. He, he doesn't. He's not a surveyor. He'll tell you he's not a surveyor, but he has such passion for the pr- profession and wanting to promote it. So it was his idea to put this together and bringing together uh, representatives of, of associations, uh, some government representatives, obviously Emily and, and others in uh, the industry, a um, couple of practitioners, uh, Wes Crawford from Indiana, that was a, a, a longtime educator and teacher, um, and also an author. Um, so there's a it's a good cross section of people. Mm. Um, I think we're trying to just figure out what. It is that we we can do collectively, and then uh, the uh, the meeting we did, did have was very very good, and I think we're going to be able to bounce some ideas off each other because we've got so many different visions on what surveying is across the country, even in, probably including this panel right here, and uh, we've got to we've got to together figure out what that needs to be.
1: Yeah, all, all good points right there, uh, Emily. So, what are what are your thoughts on it, and you know what what are you hoping to bring to the table?
5: Well, um, I think that um, it's a great mix of just thought leaders in our respective companies and our respective industry and in our respective areas. Um, but really, as a group, it's it's kind of Pob's. I think Pob's way of getting us together, having some good representation out there, and uh, just being able to have you know the knowledge and expertise that that we bring to the table, you know, at their at their ready. Um, I'm excited because there's a lot of people I don't know on the board that I'm, that I'm getting to know now, um, uh, that, uh, you know, have a lot of great input and it, it gives us an opportunity as well, um, to, to be active and to, um, to be able to express things as well. So like, you know, we, we can put together columns and stuff like that when, when needed, um, and provide feedback on, you know, m- monthly webinar topics and, um, guest experts and, and all sorts of stuff so it's it's a great way for us to uh, you know continue to to still have a, a pulse on on the the news and the the media that's going out there as well too so
1: yeah Tim you mentioned that there, it's uh, it's a good cross section of folks and I couldn't agree with you more i you know you're one of the guys on on this board that's been serving for you know 30 plus years what have you um, when you had this initial call I'm just curious I mean were the perspectives, Pretty diverse. Was everybody pretty much on the same page? What were you hearing?
4: I think we were pretty much on the same page. It's just a matter of uh, because of our different places in the industry, uh, it, it's what we really think of what's next. What's going to what's going to be the next technology? Who is going to be the next generation we're going to be able to draw into the to the profession? So we're all trying to find are ways that we can help the profession and extend it um, and also help to educate. So mm. I think there was some very, very good synergy just to, to right off the bat. And like I said, I I agree with Emily. I look forward to getting to know a few more of these people uh, a little bit deeper. I, I know some names, but I've never really met several of them. And this is a good way to get together and be able to bounce off ideas off of, off mm. of each of them as well.
1: Yeah. Great sounding board there for sure. I, uh, the article I read, you know, talked and I I was reading, you know, each person's, I don't know, bio or what they, what their thoughts were about surveying and the future of surveying. And the common theme of course was, you know, fundamentals of land surveying and technology. You know, how does technology change or affect the fundamentals of surveying? Um, Emily, what's your take on that?
5: Well, I think that the fundamentals pretty much are the same. I mean, when I go out and do a survey, I'm going to research. I'm going to, you know, find evidence. I'm going to pull deeds and pull maps. And um, I'm going to go out and do a field investigation. I'm going to collect and analyze data. And eventually I'm going to come up with a solution that I think is correct. Um, Those things aren't changing. It's just how we go about doing them. That the technology part is is what really feeds into it. So, you know, in today's day and age, especially with uh, where we're at right now, uh, you know, doing doing research and going to a courthouse is probably pretty difficult. Um, but but being able to have technology to have that information at your fingertips, at your computer, um, you know, that's that's how the process changes. The procedures that we that we use change, but in, in reality, the fundamentals, the, the things that we're going to be doing, you know, from start to finish with each project are going to be the same.
2: How about the, um, so like I've heard, I think in the last episode, Jake was talking about the iPhone, the new iPhone having some kind of LiDAR, a LiDAR, like, LiDAR yeah. capabilities and things like that. And like, I, I kind of feel like, I don't know if this is sort of like... Uh, you know unintended interference if you will in the profession you know where these technologies are coming out and then you got just consumer joe holding their phone and trying to perform some sort of survey if you will on their own um how, how do you, how are you guys viewing that and and addressing those kinds of issues
4: well that's also just the the lidar on the on the iphone 12 is is just the tip of the iceberg um last year Um, And I don't, I always butcher the name Xiaomi. I think it's the name of the Chinese phone. Hmm. Uh, It has dual frequency GPS on it. And the next pixel from Google is going to be dual frequency capable. Um, Can you imagine a dual frequency smartphone in the hands of a realtor? Hmm. Interesting. And going, I'm, I now have accuracy at these lot corners, according to the county GIS to, you know, sub meter or sub decimeter. Um, it is, you're right. It's the technology is moving so fast that the surveying community needs to stay on top of it to help educate and to, to know just because the, the, the capability is there doesn't mean that this, this should be used to, to perform a service, uh, a professional service that they're not qualified for. Absolutely. Um, my, my, you know, and my old joke, standby joke is my wife will tell you, I can go to Home Depot and I can buy a pipe wrench. That does not make me a plumber. And she'll tell you, absolutely, that's absolutely true. Um so it's it's a it's not about the tools. It's about the the capability and the, the, the knowledge base that has to go behind it.
2: And for the record, I'm a realtor and I would never do that, I would always (laughs) recommend my clients consult with a registered professional answer. I I was hoping you would pick up on that. (laughs) Uh,
1: that, That's a good example, I think, of technology having an adverse effect on the fundamentals. Yeah. You know, because somebody gets something like that in their hands and all of a sudden they think they are capable of, you know, whatever, you know, pulling up Google Map, Google Earth, what have you.
3: We've seen the same thing with drones. Same thing with drones. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I love,
2: Tim, your, your you know analogy of, you know, I can go pick up a wrench, doesn't make me a plumber. Yep.
1: Yep, it's exactly.
3: Very
2: relatable there.
1: Absolutely. Um, yes. So technology and, and you know, the, the fundamentals of surveying can coexist. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, th- I think it, it changes some things. I think, unfortunately, in, in a lot of cases that maybe the fundamentals, the true fundamentals of surveying may not be being taught because of technology. Does that make sense?
4: Oh, absolutely! It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, I think somewhere, I'm going to say somewhere in the late '90s, early 2000s, we there just seemed to be a paradigm shift on uh, with the intro, especially with the introduction of RTK and the data collectors were getting better and faster. It wasn't the quality of the data; it was the quantity. And I remember working in a couple places that or uh, with a couple of crews that they would basically compete against each other. Who could collect the most data in a day? Yep. Um, but yet you pull them aside and go, yes, but how was your PDOP all day? Did you have any multi-path? And they'd look at you like, don't what care. I got, yep. I got 2,500 points today. I don't care. Yep. Um, if they don't know what the quality of the point is, they don't know what they're looking for. Then, then what's the point you're in, in you hit it on the head. We're not training the way we, Past generations have,
1: absolutely. I think uh, I think it's Michael Dennis that does a presentation called uh, "Ghost in the Machine," and it's just that you know and you get these guys out there that are you know party chiefs, what have you, surveyors, um, you know whatever we want to call them, and they have a data collector, and it's telling them that it's, it's, it, they they don't know what to necessarily look at in the data collector to know whether or not the data they are collecting is in fact. Good, true, accurate data, um, and I, I, that—that's a problem. But again, it goes back to you know we touch on this. I sort of got every single episode. It goes back to training, educating, and mentoring. Yep.
2: And also yep. just uh, you know the the historical kind of artistic approach of serving. You know, Tim, you were mentioning how you'd like to sit down with Mr. Jefferson. You know, I, I would hate for that kind of part of the passion of the profession to be lost. Um. You know, there's this, uh, again, this kind of like artistic, archaeological, investigative kind of, you know, part to the profession. And with these new technologies coming out, it kind of just jumps and skips over all of that.
4: Exactly. And that's, you know, that's what I always try to touch on in, in several of my articles is that it's great. I mean, I wouldn't want to live without the technology. It's if in every aspect of our lives. But like emily said it it still takes some some knowledge of being able to walk out in that field and know what to look for that it isn't going to be a metal detector it's going to be it's going to be looking at the evidence and finding that post finding that stone whatever that monument no matter what your data collector says and no matter what kogo inverse you've got that's what it's going to be all the greatest data collector and technology in the world is not going to help you be a better surveyor if you don't have those basics,
1: absolutely yep. no question. And I, I think that you know, that unfortunately, there's a lot of younger surveyors that are you know fairly new in in the profession that you know aren't benefiting from the mentoring that you know guys like myself and Tim, you know, guys like guys like you. I'm sure you had some tremendous mentors that you know spent time with you and and taught you these these fundamentals and what to look for and things like that. That's kind of the scary thing, in my opinion.
5: And we've had um, so many people. that you, These big companies get down to a one-man crews, and they, you know, hire a guy and they send them out with a total station or a data collector and a GPS unit, and they never spend the time with them to teach them, you know, what to look for in the field, you know, how to look for it, those sorts of things. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my my wonderful, wonderful instructor, and you know. At the time, I thought this was so stupid, but we we ended up running the same traverse I think five times over the course of two years, starting out running it with a chain and a and a transit, yep, and then running it with stadia, and then running it with a um, with a you know tape, then a total station, then the GPS, and by the end of it, I you know it was it was. It was difficult to, throughout the process because, oh, we're running the same thing, traverse, you know, one more time again. Right. Um, but overall, you, you realize, you know, those fundamentals of, you know, OK, well, if you've got a tree online, you know, how do you how do you run offsets and all these sorts of things that, you know, when the technology does fail you in the field and sometimes it does, um, you, you know what to do when you it's not a wasted day. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think the common thread is, I mean, the fundamentals haven't changed, but I think technology, to a certain degree, has changed the fundamentals. Or at least, I don't want to say made them obsolete, but has, unfortunately... gets um, like pushed, pushed them aside. Pushed them aside. Yeah. yeah just
2: kind yeah. of uh, static, you know, just kind of like...
1: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what needs to be done? I mean, did are there different fundamentals or do the fund- fundamentals need to be taught in a different way? Do you think Tim?
4: I think, I think we're going to start seeing a, 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 I won't say a revolution, but I think there's going to be a, a slow change. Yep. Um, I, and this is probably, i well, this is a podcast. So I don't know how many baby boomers are actually listening to us on a podcast. <laughs> um, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm general I'm Gen X. Uh, I'll, I'll, free to say that. Uh, I think as the baby boomers step aside, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, freer thoughts. I think there's going to be more teaching going on rather than talking to that. uh, This is how you do it rather than working with uh, the young technicians. Um, I just think that unfortunately there's still with that generation gap, there's still a lot of talking down to Mm. and today's generation. And I mean, I've got a, uh, borderline millennial Gen Z daughter that's 24 that uh, they don't want to be talked down to. They, they want to sit down and learn from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're having that problem uh, as a profession that uh, these, these youngsters coming up, they want to learn, but they also, they want, they want to be educated. They don't want to be talked down to. And uh, so it, it, I think we're going to see more of that as Time goes on. Attrition goes on with, uh, with the the baby boomer generation. Um, don't get me wrong. There's still a bunch of great baby boomer surveyors out there, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them just need to move on.
2: And is there any interest or consultation on the, the academic curriculums on how they are teaching those right now and the, the institutions that are, that have such kind of programs, you know, are they starting it from kind of like, you know, um, very historic kind of perspective, showing the history, how surveying in, in our country started, you know, the forefathers of surveyors, you know, and so on and so forth.
4: I think some of these hey. programs are doing that. Sorry, Emily, but, um, you know, w- one of your sponsors, Parkland, I'm I'm very good friends with, uh, with Corey Allred and uh, Todd Horton, and the way they go about it is, I think, is the right way. It starts at a basic level. It's talking... Fundamentals. It really lays the groundwork for what needs to be done before you really get into any technology.
1: Did you have something to add, Emily?
5: I was just going to say that it's been a it's been a long time since I've been involved with the academic side of things, but I would hope that that's how their their approach is. Um, additionally, I I think that there's um, other ways as well as far as like the um, like the state societies are trying to, uh, involve their younger generation, um, with a, like a, a young surveyors group, uh, Wisconsin has a, a young surveyors network. Uh, they're actually voting members on our WSLS, um, board of directors, you know, so they're, they're, uh, their chairperson of, of that, um, chapter, if you will, um, is a voting member on, on our board. Uh, but the one thing that we don't do is we, we don't say, you know, this, group is for 35 and under 40 and under um, you know anybody's welcome to be a part of that young surveyors group because you you not only need the young surveyors there but you also need the mentors so I've I've been a member of that chapter since I was 30-ish um, but but there's older older members more seasoned as we say um, more seasoned uh, people there that are um, just there to mentor the young the younger crowd too so
1: yeah, and I'll go so far as to say that, um, you know, having the opportunity to talk to a lot of the, the younger geomatics professionals like, like James Combs, for example, I know, Tim, you had a chat with him, and Denver Winchester and some of the others, um, there is a ton of passion in in that age group, and there is a bit of a paradigm shift happening, I believe, and the way that they are, you know, educated, mentored, whatever, what have you, you know, has to adjust accordingly because not everybody can be taught the same way. I mean, it it is a generational thing. There's no doubt about it, but, you know, on a a positive note, I I think there is this movement within the survey profession in that younger surveyor younger geomatic professional um, range you know what that age is is it 30 to 40 i'm not sure exactly at this point but there is a groundswell of, of passion there which is pretty exciting
4: mm-hmm. yeah there is and, and it's something else that uh, that has to change And this is something when i speak to any of the young surveyors or even a younger group that part of it the change has to be uh, the employers the owners Mm -hmm. that here we are. I mean, it's famously said, Emily probably remember this and chuckle at this, but one of our, one of our past presidents, when he ever would ever get up to speak, he would always say uh, to to all of the the members out there that, you know, when you're sending that person out in your, your crew member, you're sending them out in an expensive truck with an expensive piece of several pieces of equipment, their liability, their uh, goodwill, And their reputation that's all on your license and uh, there needs to be more respect for that person you're sending out doing that Mm -hmm. and giving them the benefit so one thing i always press on to the young younger surveyors and their employers is give them the chance when they say i have an opportunity to go to a state chapter meeting or a national chapter meeting Mm -hmm. figure out a way to send them send them to those those seminars I hate it that as a licensed professional, I've got to get continuing ed because, yes, I'm going to get it anyway. I should. That should be my responsibility. Mm-hmm. But the employers should send those younger staff. They're the ones that need the education. They're the ones that need more development. Send them. And be honest. That's the cheapest employee you can send. Mm-hmm. Why don't you do that? Yeah. And I, that my challenge for the employers is to do that.
1: That's a really good point, Tim. You know, it's just you got to cultivate that uh, that excitement. Yeah, you can't suppress it. That's that's <laughs> completely counterproductive, no doubt about it. Uh, let's move on just uh, a little bit here, Tim. So you, like you said, you mentioned earlier, you know, you write a bunch of articles and uh, provide a lot of input to a lot of different uh, sources. In one article that you wrote, I think it was titled Future of Surveying, uh, you said that the techniques now used to gather data are more complicated than the lawful analysis of boundary principles. But both are critical to successful completion of a survey project. I agree with that 100%. Dig a little deeper, tell me me what was kind of the the genesis of that thought.
4: Well, it was a lot of what what, uh, Emily said earlier, and we've kind of been talking all along. The technology has made things so much more complicated. I mean, let's be honest, I mean, you've got that much more to worry about uh, out with this equipment. you are able to do a lot more with it, but there's more to think about. Um, however, in conjunction with that, you need to be mindful, especially in a boundary survey. And that's, I'll just, uh, I'll kind of preface it with that. Um, mm-hmm. In doing that analysis, uh, it's not about just having some, somebody from the office send you a, a, a CAD, a COGO file and say, go stake these points out. And, oh, well, I missed it by a 10th. So that, that, that monuments off that rod is off no it's about collecting the evidence that the person uh, a, p- a person's biggest thing in life other than their family is a piece of property so bottom line is you are working for someone to to help establish and protect that property so when you're out there retracing this stuff it's important that you get it right and you know i it, it always it always uh, aggravates me when I see a survey, nothing else. I mean, every corner is shown off by a 10th or 2 tenths or whatever. Fine. Based upon what, and are you willing to take that plat to, uh, to your client and go, yeah, yeah, there's your corner. No, it's not at the iron pin. It's 2 tenths West by 2 tenths North. Um, well, then what's the iron, what's the, what's the iron rod that's been there for 30, 40, 50 years? What does that mean? Yeah. Um. It, it's about learning those principles as well. Yep. That goes along with, oh, I know how to. I you know I'm gonna collect all this data, I'll throw least squares on it, and be done. Um. There's. It's. It's just as complicated on the on the principle side, and you you gotta be able to follow that as well.
1: Really good point. Um. You know. Again, it goes back to technology and. Really, kind of muddying the waters to a certain degree. You know, if you're collecting, let's say you're doing a boundary survey using GPS, let's say, you know, and you're collecting data using VRS, which is, you know, in state plane coordinates, and you got to apply a scale factor to it, and all there's, there's just it, it gets so muddied up. You know, I think it's the bottom line is 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 it repeatable? You know, is it repeatable with all the different technologies? Right. That's a good question. No, exactly.
4: No, ex- exactly. And you know, do, when you, it's so funny when you when you talk to your crews and say, "Well, did you double those angles? Did you triple those angles?" And they're like, "Shot with GPS. What more do you need, dude?" Yep. I'm like, "Yeah, no, that's not right. That's yep. not right."
2: And you know, I don't know if anyone does this, you know, and within their and where they work, but you know, um, just for experimental purposes, doing a survey. With two or three different technologies, and just comparing the results from all of them, and just kind of having a discussion about it.
1: Yep, yep. No, it'd be a great, uh, it'd be a great case, no doubt about it, for sure. Um, Emily, uh, so in in the same article, you know about the advisory board. you know, I think you, you said something along the lines of, you know, in, 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 it kind of goes along with everything else we've been talking about. Well, we, we use a variety of tools to collect the information, you know, including you know traditional survey methods, GPS, laser scanners, drones, LIDAR, you know, the list goes on and on, as you said. Uh, but the results should still be the same. We use those tools to locate things on the earth and through our specialized training, regulation, and knowledge make informed decisions that shouldn't change. That's a huge challenge. Would you agree?
5: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, talking kind of on the same theme that we've been talking about. You know, it it shouldn't matter if we go out there with a GPS unit. It shouldn't matter if we go out there with a total station. We should be in a sense getting the same result, um, you know, through our through our research, through our um, analysis of uh, our um, evidence. Um, you know, th- those things and, and making sure we're fitting in with our regulations. Um, we we should be coming up with the same result
1: yeah again being being repeatable data right you know with all the different technologies across the board and that is a that 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 is a challenge no doubt about it Especially yeah. when you when you're talking about GPS and scale factors, and this guy uses this scale factor, this guy uses a little bit different scale factor for whatever reason, and all of a sudden, you know, the property corners aren't matching by like Tim said, a couple of tenths, and you've got a party chief out there that doesn't have a ton of experience. His job is to go out there and set the property corners. He's like, "Well, I stick out to it; it's two tenths off. I'm setting the property corner." And all of a sudden, you get that pincushion thing that everybody <laughs> dreads. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's just kind of the way it goes. I mean, that, that's it in a nutshell. I, I tell a story. Um, at one time, I, I, gosh, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, I was doing a, a boundary survey, retracement survey, and I found a, a nail and washer driven into the top of a transformer. Like the transformer was set on the property line, right? But the nail and the washer was literally driven into the top of the transformer. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I knew the RLS you know, whose number was on the washer, so I called him up like, dude, this is what I found. I know you didn't intend for this to happen, but it was a perfect example of sending out a party chief, quote, to go out there and step property corners. And not knowing better, he's like, oh, it falls in the transform. I'm just going to set the nail on the washer right here. This is perfect.
5: It's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. I worked uh, I worked for a county government for a while, and I one of my jobs as that uh, doing that work was reviewing uh, certified server maps and subdivision plats and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, somebody had submitted a map and they were calling the corners. They were, they had found two entire pipes. They were calling the corners off, you know, two tenths, a tenth, that sort of thing. Um, and I, and I said, well, if you don't believe that these corners are the right corners, you know, then by law, you have to set new corners. So, why didn't you set new corners? And he said, well, they were so close to the old corners. I didn't want to cause any confusion. Mm. And I said, well then, don't you think you should have accepted the old corners where they were? I mean, they were yeah. set in 1978 and here you are, you know, 30 years later coming and retracing it. Uh, you know, you, you got to take into account in 1978 when these were set, you know, what, what was the tech, what was the technology like then too? Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing, but, uh, the, uh, the, the pin cushion idea is a, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, <laughs> to yeah, say the least. Absolutely.
1: So. Yep, as it should be. Um, so I, I want to touch on this real quick. You know, the uh, the, the fundamentals of surveying exam, um, it's my understanding it kind of goes through a review every four or six years. On well, In four or six years, technology is advancing so rapidly. Um, how, in your opinion, should or does the technological side of things uh, have a- effect on the fundamentals exam. Tim, I'll let you hit on that first.
4: It has to, I mean, obviously that's the tools we're using. That's that's what we're gonna be, uh, gonna be our new norm going forward. Um, I do think things need to, they do need to move forward with, with the testing. I mean, that's one thing with uh, NSPS and the CST program. I and mean, that program goes back 30 plus years. And some of the questions on those uh, exams, we're getting complaints that, well, why should I need to know about a sag and a tape? Well, you know, we're trying to figure out which ones do need to still be relevant and which ones don't. And here you've got the the fundamentals exam doing the same thing. What is really still relevant yeah. and what's not? So I think it does have to uh, it does have to evolve. I mean, because because that's what it is we're dealing with. But uh, it also has to have a little bit of foot in the history as well.
0: For I was sure.
2: gonna, going on that, like I've never taken the exam or seen it. Um, are there any like history questions on there about the profession itself?
1: I've, you know, it's been a hundred years since I've taken it, but uh, I, I have to say, hope a little that little while. they're still in there. I don't know. Yeah. It's a good question. That's well, a good question. Was there I, when I don't you know, know the answer.
2: It? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah. like for example, like what?
1: Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. It was... I mean, I took it originally in Illinois. No, I didn't. Where did I take it first? I took it in Missouri, actually. And depending on the state, I mean, the state-specific exams, sure. you know, had some his, history, re, you know, relative questions, I guess. Um, but as did the, the fundamentals, yeah. So there's, like, for sure.
2: there's, there'll be, like, some kind of even, like, uh, cases that were like brought up in the court for example like hey uh, i don't X remember why per
1: se but i mean yeah. just like you know prorating sections and stuff like that you know um that took place you know when the original corners were set okay. that stuff was on there mm-hmm. for sure i have to assume it still is i don't know it's been forever i'd be curious i think it's a great question i would love to know
2: and on a national perspective is there questions just in general again about the the history of the profession itself
1: uh i believe so tim what do you think
4: yeah, no, it, it, that's what it is. That that's yeah. the one that's going to evolve the quickest because, NCWS has the money. They they do have the resources to do. Uh, what what's I, I always get the word right? Is it cyclometrician? That's the person that does all of the. The, hmm. the the question analyzation and and how to how to fool the test test taker and mm-hmm. such but uh oh, yeah. they they do all of they do all of that i mean they've they've got the resources to do that and i think they're probably the best example of of a, of a of an organization that's keeping up on a modernized test um we just had just had this conversation with a young man in my office today uh he's taking the illinois pacific and uh yes it was a million years ago i took it but I don't think it's changed hmm. and it's frustrating and it's not it's it's kind of like I told him it's kind of a ticky tack test. And then yeah. uh, uh, it you just you got to pre- you got to prepare for whatever they give, you know, based on whatever they give you. And you got to know some of these things. But I think going back to the original question, yes, the the national test is a more modernized test. And I think it's going to be a, it's going to be more fair. Um, I guess one thing that was brought up earlier is that, you know, in doing some of this stuff and making it a little more modern, is it allowing more people to pass? Um, I, I think so. I, I do think so. Um, I think getting away from some of the fundamentals, some of the basics, um, not having to, having to remember some of that stuff, I think that's going to make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, we can, we can talk about that a little bit more too, that, you know, the barrier to entry does it need to be lowered so we continue to get more people in?
1: It's a good point. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm and Tim, you know, I, I am very curious to get your perspective on that. I mean, are you, uh, you know, a four year degree guy? Or are you a two year plus experience? Where do you land on that?
4: Well, um, being one that's got, uh, I, I went back and got my business associates at the age of 40, um, <laughs> completely completely uh, experienced here in Illinois is uh, you remember that I was one of the last last classes to really get in uh, by experience. Um, that was fine then. Yeah. Now it has to be education. There has to be some portion of education, formal education in there. Um, I've got some grandiose ideas on what different levels of surveyors can be based upon education and experience and testing um, that uh, I could probably go on for days of talking about, because I think it's going to need to be done. Um, but I think in, gen- in general, no, there has to be some education. These, The argument that I've got a 30 year party chief that can, you know, go out and do this lot survey and sign this plat. Well, maybe, but, is he just setting pin cushions? So, you know, I just it's in general. If I've, you know, yes, your honor, I'm going to say it's got to be education.
1: Do you do you think it's four year degree or do you think it's two year uh, plus experience?
4: Well, once again, I'm I'm I would personally would like to see uh, not necessarily a modular license like they're thinking about dealing with it with the NCWS, but I think it needs to be segmented a little bit that depending on your education, depending on your experience level, uh, it could be tiered to mm-hmm. where uh, somebody can be a, basically a lot surveyor. Somebody can be a basically a technician. Um, it would take a four-year degree to be able to do an ALTA survey, uh, four-year degree to be able to be an expert witness. Um, I think there's just depending on that level... I hate to hearken it to the, we're by no means any can really compare it to the medical fields, but mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for an, uh, the experience level and the the knowledge level of a surveyor based on education and testing. Um, that with that with more they can do more. That not just say okay, well I've got a license, I can do hydro, I can do photogrammetry, mm-hmm. I can do all of these things. No, you can't. If you're not in, if that's not your field of expertise and you don't have knowledge in it, you can't do it. You can't sign for it.
1: You know, honestly, that's the first I've heard about like a, a tiered licensure type model. Yeah. And I, I like it. It's interesting. It really is interesting. And Tim, I mean, we'll talk offline about that because I mean, I am. Yes. I would love to hear more about that perspective because I've never heard it before. And in my mind, it makes perfect sense. To it does. I mean, with, yeah. there's
2: there's different levels of. Yeah you know, that requires different kinds of experience mm-hmm. and, you know, not to say there's like a, this is a beginner survey, but yep. maybe there's just more simplistic type surveys and more complicated, and complicated, and complicated. Yeah. Um, and perhaps there should be some kind of tiered qualification yeah. process.
1: I mean, that. it actually put a smile on my face. Yeah. I love the idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah it could be a good, a uh, good solution. Um, so awesome. Thank you for that, Tim. Uh, Emily, I, w- I want to give you a shot to provide your input on that topic.
5: I come from the uh, two year background. Uh, so I, I have a two year degree. Um, but I, I will say, so I, I started out in a four year degree college going for something completely different and I didn't end up finishing that, but at the same time there are skills that I learned then that I use now. Um, you know, just in speaking to people and, and being professional and, and those sorts of things, which I think is important as well. Um, I don't know that I can necessarily say that a two-year degree is better or a four-year degree is better, Uh, but I I do agree with Tim in the fact that some sort of education should be required, bare minimum. Um, I do also like the fact that um, NSPS is getting involved with their certification programs. So, you know, they've got the hydro certification, they've got a certified federal surveyor, um and they're they're looking at other options as well. Um, and I think that you know if if you don't have that four-year degree and we're looking at more of this tiered level of uh, qualifications, that those should also fit in there as well um, because I, I think that they're providing a really good background and a really good um, education in in the programs that they're providing as well.
2: You know, coming from a real estate kind of perspective, um... Obviously, being a professional real estate uh, licensed registrant, um, you know, real estate transactions can be very complicated, um, especially from state to state. So um, it just kind of is making me thinking about that. You know, in Arizona, you need to have at least ninety hours of training uh, through a course, if you mm-hmm. will, basically a course, yeah. And then you have to take an exam and so on and so forth. I mean, and I'll tell you right now, real estate agents are the dumbest people I've ever met. I mean, they are really, it's, it's mind boggling yeah. how people are allowed to practice real estate out there. Um, but I'm just saying like, you know, uh, perhaps there can be some sort of at least, um, minimum requirement for the land surveying profession that, you know, obviously you might have some experience, but there's gotta be some kind of education component minimum say like, you know, whatever it is, there's a 90 hour course.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a. Uh, it, it could be an option. There's no doubt about it. I think Tim. I think I think you and I are about the same age, and we. You know, I, I took the longest way possible uh, to become registered. I, my, my degree was actually in architecture. I went back. I went to SIU, Carbondale. I went back and took, like, 24 hours of Roy Frank survey classes and uh, Roy Frank's a legend, just FYI. Um, and, you poor man. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I, it took me, like, eight years to be able to sit for, like, the SIT exam. Yeah. And then another four years after that. So it was like a 12-year process for me to get licensed. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, I mean, the uh, the mentoring that I got over the course of that time was uh, priceless as far as that goes.
2: So talking about the tiers, you should have the Ph.D. in surveying oh,
1: Yeah, but I don't have the education. <laughs> we
3: have to call you doctor.
1: You can, yeah, all right. We can do that. <laughs> Um, so let, uh, before we get out of here, Tim, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about NSPS. I know you're super involved at that level. And, um, you know, what What are some of the things that NSPS is focused on right now? You know, maybe just talk about short-term goals and long-term goals and what that focus might be.
4: Well, short-term is surviving COVID. Um, <laughs> it's been a little bit interesting, obviously, not being able to meet uh, in person. Uh, we've now had two the spring and fall meeting of this year that's uh, been been post well, not postponed been made, moved virtual which has been quite interesting, um, but we're still. I guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how to exist in a virtual world that we're not we're, we're not as a surveying profession able to go into schools we're not able to to basically spread our message mm. through our normal channels, yeah. and then by also not within our own association, be able to do that business, it's become more of a challenge. Yeah. And I'll kind of unfortunately harken back to that baby boomer comment earlier that um, getting that group of people on virtual meetings is uh, just, it's, it's hard. Let's just say that. So short term is just getting through this and knowing that there's going to be something on the other side. Long term, I think it's about uh opening the profession's arms a little bit more. Uh, I've already started some conversations with uh, other professionals, uh, organizations. Uh, I think we're going to think about doing some things with uh, Erisa and the GIS people hmm. that uh, the conversations we had years ago when GIS was first uh, first really was coming to light and surveyors are like, nope, keep, them, keep away from my cadastrals layer. That's mine. You, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, we've got a different generation now that's mm. learning this with the technology. And I think it really works more hand in hand. So NSPS is looking to broaden that, uh, that viewpoint that, you know, one of the things I, one of my platforms when I was running for officer was, and I still would like to try to change this. And I think it's just too cost effective to, to try to do it is to change it from the National Society of Professional Sa- Surveyors to the National Society of Professional Surveying.
1: Mm, that's interesting.
4: We are all part of the surveying. I mean, uh, yes, it's the licensed professional, but the association and everything that we're advocating for is not just for that person. Yeah. It's for that technician. It's for the, anybody that's sitting in that office working on that stuff. It's for the secretary that's typing up those legals. Uh, it's for anybody that's touching surveying, we are advocating for you and for your company. Um, we'll leave it NSPS for now and just go that way. But the bottom line is we've got to look out for those technicians. We've got to look out for the people that do a bulk of the work.
2: Yeah. Make it all inclusive. I like that.
1: Absolutely. This guy, Tim, he's got some good ideas, huh? Yeah. (laughs) In the uh, another good thing about NSPS, I think there's a bit of a youth movement happening. You know, I think for the longest time it was, I don't want to say you know run by the old codgers or what have you, but um, it was. Let's face it. And there's a, you know some some younger hmm. folks getting involved at a at a higher level with Amanda getting involved in that type of thing. I think those are all steps in the right direction.
4: Yeah, well, that was one thing, um, and I'll probably get crucified by people for saying this as well. I mean, and this happens at the state levels as well, but when it comes to state offices and even the national offices, it was a victory lap. I've reached the pinnacle of my career. I'm gonna get involved. Mm. Now my company's gonna fly me to to DC, fly me to somewhere else. I'm gonna get involved in NSPS. I'm gonna be a director or governor, then now director, and then I'll I'll get, oh, and become president of the society. Um, No, this is work. This is about the profession and it's not a victory lap anymore and work needs to be done Um, all the work that nsps has done with against light squared and legato and fighting for legislation and trying to keep our hands wrangled around deregulation and education requirements this is a this is an ongoing job and it can't be a victory lap anymore
1: yeah, yeah, great points. And I'm glad you mentioned deregulation. I wanted to touch on that, but that's a whole other podcast probably. But exactly, I'm glad yeah. to hear that NSPS has that in their, in their radar as well. Uh, Emily, uh, talk to us a little bit about Burnson International and what's going on there.
5: Uh, well, we've, we're in the process of a product launch. Um, so we've been uh, working with uh, what it takes to make a smart marker. Um, so, so bringing our smart markers into uh, fruition here. So we're uh, we've got our inframarker branded smart markers that have uh, RFID embedded in them, um, and we're we're working with Esri, um, our partner, and um, integrating with using ArcGIS Online um, and and Survey 123. And uh, we're working with uh, uh, CHA Integrated Solutions for Corivo software. Um, so we're, we've got all these great partnerships that we're working with, um, and we're launching this. Uh, it was initially supposed to be kind of part of the uh, ESRI User Conference, um, but we've we've been kind of slowly um, rolling things out since then. Uh, so. Uh, mainly focusing on um, asset management, specifically for utilities, for stormwater, and for uh, gas pipelines. Um, being able to provide a solution that provides that um, traceable, verifiable, and complete uh, auditable trail uh, for, for asset management. Um, and I'm continuing with my blog. So I'm putting out a new blog about every couple of weeks or so. Uh, trying to uh, do a little bit of focus on some products that we have available, but but also trying to um, to mix in some great stories of um, user stories of, of people who've used our products um, and uh, great stories about different parks. And I had one a while back on Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> as we spoke about before. Um, so just mixing in a whole bunch of uh, great Stories to read about, um, and uh, hope, hoping in the future that uh, infomarker is going to take off here real quick, um, and uh, just working on helping them grow their business. Um, the other thing too is is you know is at Burnson Ber- we're always trying to give back, uh, and so we we've been providing uh, scholarships at NSPS through NSPS. Um, and uh, at the local level, at in the at the Wisconsin Society of Land Surveyors, um, so always trying to find ways where we can um, still continue to promote our profession and uh, grow it as well. So making sure that those young students that are coming in have um, a little bit of money to help them along their way as well. So,
2: so how are you getting your? Uh, um, I mean, being now in the in the BD arena with this new role that you're in are you are you still fulfilling your your passion as a surveyor getting out in the field how are you doing that
5: uh i haven't been out in the field in probably about nine months or so <laughs> um
2: are you getting the shakes I, uh,
5: I, I still yeah i still keep close ties with some of the local surveyors here um we've got a local chapter that meets uh quarterly um and then still trying to keep a pulse on. Uh, what's happening at the, the state level as well in our, in our state organization. Um, I haven't, I haven't been necessarily practicing much surveying, um, since then, but, uh, certainly trying to stay involved with, uh, with this, with the same people, with the colleagues that I've had for the, over these years. So are, are, mm-hmm.
2: you, are you still, um, available in your organization as a, as a mentor to the field folks?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if anybody ever needs to reach out or wants to reach out, has questions about things, I'm certainly more than willing and able to to um, help share my experiences and hopefully um, help them along in their way as well, too.
2: Yeah, that's great. With your experience, you know, I've looked at um, your your history there. I mean, you got a lot of valuable experience and hopefully your organization is taking advantage of that and let, allowing you to mentor your their survey department as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: and still really young for having all the experience that yep. she has. Absolutely. Yep. And I is it, doesn't Burnson do something really cool for like uh, I think it's like a final monument or something for like you know surveyors that you know that, that pass what have you. Um, there's there's a monument that Burnson creates I think for like a like a final resting place or something like that. Is that right?
5: Yep. So we have our final point. Final point. Um, and yep. we we work through NSPS to provide that. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great tribute um, to the, so those surveyors who have passed on um, to be able to leave a, a legacy in the ground. Um, one other thing that we're working on right now too is um, being able to provide a medallion that actually has your, your state license stamp on it. Um, and we're thinking that that might be a really cool thing, especially for state organizations that want to celebrate their newly registered surveyors. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a surveyor, um, you know, gets their license, they get their stamp, then they can, um, through their state organizations, um, provide that stamp to us and then we can create a really nice um, paperweight medallion for them too. So they were they were we were just talking about that this morning in a meeting that I was at and I said, Well, I want one of those I am just <laughs> gonna say
1: that's a genius idea. I yeah, want one of those. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah.
5: So uh be be on the lookout. We may have some marketing coming up for that uh real here soon, um, right before
1: And I think I'll go ahead and pre-order my final point monument as well. Can can you make that a smart monument, please?
5: There you go. There you go.
1: All right. Since uh, big shoots are here, we got to ask his favorite question. Tim, I'm going to start with you on this one. Do you have a mantra that you live by?
4: I've got a sticker on my desk at work that uh, it says, never underestimate the power of a compliment. Hmm. Um, And I always try to do that with my staff. Um, just it's fun to mentor, fun to to challenge. Um, except I tell you what, in the last six eight months with COVID and such, I've expanded that to also include the power of compassion and the mm. power of empathy. And just we got to make sure that we see things through other people's eyes as well to know what they're what they're dealing with from their side. Uh, you know, that's one thing we're dealing with it. At, at, well, as a I think as a nation, but one thing we're talking about at NSPS and surveyors and diversity, well, I can try to talk about surveying as much as I want to, but yeah, I, I haven't lived through that person's lenses, so I don't know what the, a, a, a young man on the south side of Chicago, what he's dealing with, just say, oh yeah, come survey, it's great, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I haven't experienced what he has, so we've got to we got to remember that got to have some empathy
1: the humanity of it yeah no doubt no doubt uh emily how about you do you have a mantra you live by
5: uh i have a movie quote uh from a cartoon movie that's one of my favorite movies uh robots um mr big or mr biggs i'm not really sure what the robot's name was but he always said see a need fill a need um and that's something that i've i've lived by um through volunteering with the state organizations, with being a part of NSPS is, you know, when, when, when somebody needs something, you know, see it and then fill it. Um, you know, and so I want to be able to give back, um, you know, whatever I can, um, to make sure that others are, are, their needs are met too.
1: Hey, that's uh that's good life advice as well. Love it. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, so we touched on most everything I think we wanted to hit on, um, Steve, do you have anything?
2: Not really, just um, any other parting words or points of discussion? Yeah, do
1: you guys got anything maybe we didn't touch on? Tim, I'll start with you.
4: Uh, I do have one thing. Uh, We've had a lot of people affected by natural disasters throughout the country this year, whether it's hurricanes, uh, wildfires, what have you. NSPS does have a disaster relief fund. Hmm. Uh, Please, please consider giving giving some money to them. If you've got a few... Shekels in your pocket, you can do. You can put put in there because uh, that mu- all of that money goes to surveyors and ones that have lost. They've lost everything in wow. some cases. The wildfires obviously have just been dominating, hmm. uh, but also let's remember the hurricane people and the. the correct me if I mean I can't. I always get this one wrong. Though the, the storm that blew through Iowa, the Duratio or it looks like it says Derecco, but it's Duratio. Um, that was a huge storm and there were surveyors there that lost everything. Wow. Uh, go to the good SPS webpage, uh, find disaster relief. And, uh, if you can give a little bit, uh, it, it's going to a fellow surveyor.
1: I appreciate that, Tim. So folks can just go ahead and make a donation online, correct?
4: Yes. All online.
1: Okay, cool. Awesome. Tax
4: deductible online.
1: (laughs) Yep. Thank you. That's, uh, that's awesome. Awesome. Uh, Emily, how about you? Any parting words, anything maybe we didn't touch on that you'd like to get out there?
5: I think for me, um, I just want to put out a challenge to others um, as you get involved with your surveying profession, um, you know, it it's a time for you to also give back to the profession that's giving to you as well. So take a volunteer, sign up for a committee at the state organization or, you know, become a, an officer on your local chapter. Um, just take the time. It's it's not a whole lot of time you have to give, but take a little bit of time to give back to the profession that's giving to you, and uh, get involved.
2: Absolutely, pay it forward. Yeah, I love the advice. Yep. You know, be more intentful.
1: No doubt. Yep. Yeah, yep, no doubt about it. Well, guys, I uh, I again, we appreciate you spending the time with us this evening. Great content, um, and uh, hopefully, you'll come out with us again at some point. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. Check us out at uh thegeaholics.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn by searching for the Geoholics. Download all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. Don't forget to download the Geoholics app from Land Surveyors United and please subscribe to the new Geoholics YouTube channel. As I said earlier, email us at info at the if you're interested in being a friend of the program or a guest on a future show guns and roses sweet child of mine available everywhere please don't forget to support our friends of the program every chance you get until next time as we said pay it forward add value make friends most
2: importantly don't forget to vote
1: <laughs> be safe and healthy everyone <laughs> <laughs> <of my>
4: All right. Once again, thank you to our friends of the program, Bad Elf GPS. Find them at bad-elf.com. Land Surveyors United, landsurveyorsunited.com. LiDAR News at LiDARnews.com. Parkland College Land Survey Program, parkland.edu surveying. UniFly, U-N-I-F-L-I dot A-E-R-O. Diamondback Land Surveying at diamondbacklandsurveying.com. Advanced Geodetic Surveys at agsgps.com. Tiger Supplies at tigersupplies.com. Cyanic Automation at getjobbook.com. Safety Apparel, you can find them at safetyapparel.us. And finally, Get Kids Into Survey at getkidsintosurvey.com.